More than 20% of people in faith communities are survivors of childhood sexual abuse. But sadly, churches are often the last place a victim of abuse can find help and healing. I'm Kelly Downing, and my dream is a church where survivors like me and so many others can feel safe, be heard, and find healing. Until that happens, this is Survivor Sanctuary, a podcast for survivors of sexual abuse who are navigating the road to healing and for anyone who wants to be a part of the major heart renovation the church needs so that our faith communities can truly become sanctuaries for survivors. Welcome to Survivor Sanctuary. I am Kelly, your host, and I'm always happy for you to be joining me for another episode of the podcast. I hope you're enjoying your day, whatever you've got going on. And while these next few minutes together hopefully gives you a little break from your day-to-day routine and a chance to just focus on you, especially if you are a survivor of sexual abuse. Um, I'm not sure if this is something that a lot of survivors experience, but I've always found in dealing with my trauma that I tend to focus on other people's problems. And I think that that's one of my coping mechanisms, or maybe it's just a learned behavior from the abuse, but it's kind of easy for me to see that other people are struggling and need help. And then I kind of put my focus there. But I think that when we do things for ourselves as survivors, um, it's not selfish. It's actually a breath of fresh air because I feel like a lot of the time it's easier to just not focus on ourselves. And part of that may be an avoidant type of a thing. Like we don't want to think about our problems. We don't want to focus on them. We kind of just want to think about something else and not have to deal with it. But, you know, taking time out for yourself, whether it's to listen to a podcast or read a book about surviving sexual abuse or a book about healing or anything that you're doing to kind of help yourself to heal and spend time on yourself and and care for yourself, I think is always a plus. So if this podcast does any of that for you and helps you out at all, even if it just gives you a break from thinking about the other things going on in your life, then it's definitely worth it to record it every single week. Well, before we jump into the meat of today's podcast, I want to remind you that you can join us on the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group, and all you need to do is search Survivor Sanctuary on Facebook. You're going to be prompted to answer a question, and I don't allow anybody into the group that doesn't answer the question because I just need to make sure that everybody's there for the right reasons. But if you answer that question, I'll add you into the group and you can join our conversations there in the Facebook group. I also want to remind you that you can support Survivor Sanctuary with a monthly gift, and you can do that by visiting anchor.fm slash Survivor Sanctuary, and I will put a link in the show notes to that, Uh, but you can give like 99 cents a month, you could give five bucks, 10 bucks, you know, whatever you feel led to give to support this podcast and to help keep it going. There are some expenses that I pay each month from audio software to websites and web hosting and, you know, just some other expenses that go into it, so you can give a monthly gift or a one-time donation at anchor.fm slash Survivor Sanctuary, and you would just click to support the podcast. Well, we talk a lot on Survivor Sanctuary about some of the mental health aspects of surviving sexual abuse and some of the psychological things that survivors of sexual abuse have to deal with. And I think we talk about it a lot because, my goodness, there's just a lot to deal with. Many survivors of sexual abuse suffer from 
what I prefer to think of as trauma responses, you know, I saw it was actually a meme. I didn't read it in an article or anything like that, but um, they had crossed out the words mental illness and written trauma response. And I actually posted that in the Survivor Sanctuary uh, Facebook group because I agree with it and it just resonated so well with me. It's that we tend to kind of label the mental responses that we have to our childhood sexual abuse um, or any kind of abuse that you've experienced, we tend to label those responses as mental illnesses. And I think that for some of us, and I'm speaking from personal experience, obviously I can't speak for every survivor, but I think sometimes there's comfort in having a label for something that you've struggled with for so long. And I would say that about anxiety for me, um, it's no secret I, <laughs> I have anxiety and I was diagnosed um, years ago with generalized anxiety disorder. And as much as I didn't want to have like a disorder of anxiety, when I was finally like, it was actually just written down. I don't even remember exactly the name of the doctor, who it was, but it was just like, yeah, you have generalized anxiety disorder and that's what this is. And that's what you're struggling with. And to me, there came like this level of comfort with that, not because I wanted to have some kind of mental health issue, or I wanted to have some sort of disorder. But I think that the comfort was in just having a name for or being able to finally put my finger on what I had been dealing with my entire life. So even if it's not like a mental illness, or a mental health disorder, and it is just a trauma response, I was just relieved to be able to identify the fact that I had been struggling with something and suffering from something forever. So at the time, yes, it was given a label of like a mental health disorder, generalized anxiety disorder. Like you can look it up in one of the big psychological books of diagnoses for different mental health conditions. And like, that's how it can be identified. But I love the idea that it's not a mental illness. It's not a disorder. It's a trauma response. So I think that there's a lot of focus for good reason in survivors of sexual abuse on the mental aspects of surviving sexual abuse. Because honestly, in our brain, that is where a big chunk of everything we deal with kind of resides. You know, it is our, our brain that changes from trauma. It's our brain that helps us to learn how to react in different ways to the things that's happening all around us. And so there's rightly a focus on that. And I don't know if you can hear my... <laughs> My 110-pound Great Dane, who likes to lay on the carpet in the office slash studio where I record the podcast, and she likes to move around anytime I'm recording anything, and well, I'm just going to leave it there because yeah, she is who she is, and she's usually right here at my feet, um, cannot stand to be in a separate room for me for more than three seconds or she has a panic attack. So here she lays and you might hear her rolling around a little bit on the podcast. We are a top class professional production here at Survivor Sanctuary. So back to what I was saying, it's a given. There's a lot of mental struggle, psychological struggle, emotional struggle, whatever you want to call it, uh, that results from surviving sexual abuse as a child or a person of any age. But it's not just our mental health that suffers after we experience sexual abuse. It's not just our minds and the wiring in our brains that gets kind of messed up as a result of sexual abuse. And so I wanted to focus on 
the physical aspect of surviving sexual abuse. You might have heard reference to the fact that sexual abuse doesn't leave physical marks on people. That like sometimes people think that you should just get over it and move on from it and, you know, think that you should be fine because there's not any physical bruise or scar there that shows that you've been hurt by sexual abuse. So you might have heard that before, like because those scars don't show and because sexual abuse doesn't usually leave actual physical marks on us long term, that people tend to trivialize it or minimize it and think, well, you know, it's over now and you should just be able to get over it and move on. Well, that's true to an extent, like it doesn't necessarily leave big colorful marks all over your body, you know, that are going to stay with you for the rest of your life. But sexual abuse does leave its mark on our physical bodies in addition to in our minds and in our emotions. One of the most fascinating studies that I have ever read is the ACEs study that was released back in the late 90s, I believe it was, by Kaiser Permanente. The ACE study was the Adverse Childhood Experiences study. And if you haven't heard of it, um, I'm going to link to, not to the study itself, but I'm going to link to a TED Talk by Dr. Nadine Burke, who is now the Surgeon General of California since 2019, and also uh, a pediatrician. And she has this amazing TED Talk on adverse childhood experiences. So I'm going to link to that in the show notes, and I would highly encourage you to look at that if you have not yet done so. Um, I know a lot of you might have seen this already, Uh, but the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study essentially... I'm not a researcher, so if you're looking for like numbery things, look up the Kaiser Permanente ACEs study and you can read statistics to your heart's content. Not going to happen on Survivor Sanctuary. I definitely speak from my emotions if you haven't learned that about me up until this point. If it's your first time listening to the podcast and you were hoping for like charts and graphs and numbers and all sorts of science Well, you're probably not going to get that here. I am fascinated by it, though. Like, I love to read about studies that talk about the effects of of sexual abuse and scientific. I'll I'll read it all day long, but what I am not going to be able to do is regurgitate it like a scientist here on the podcast. So I'm going to give you a very nutshelled down version of the ACEs study. It is essentially the study of adverse childhood experiences and the negative consequences of those adverse childhood experiences on adults. This ACEs study really breaks it down quite simply, I think. Like, yes, there's science behind it, uh, but if you go to the website ACEs Too High, which I will also uh, link to in the show notes, they break it down for you very simply uh, about the way that adverse childhood experiences can affect your adult health. And yeah, you can look at the correlation between you know mental health issues as well. Um, but for today's purposes, we're kind of focusing on what happens to people's physical bodies as a result of sexual abuse. And I don't want to minimize anyone's experience. There's a chance, because it does happen, there's a chance that you experienced physical violence in your sexual abuse. And there's a chance that you do have scars from that and that you carry them with you on your physical body. So I don't in any way want to diminish that or minimize that. When I say that sexual abuse doesn't leave physical marks, the vast majority of the time, 
the marks that we deal with are internal when you think of like the mental struggles that we have, the emotional struggles that we have. But these internal struggles always end up showing themselves on the outside. Even if you're talking about emotionally or psychologically, um, they're going to come out in some way or another. And the same is true of our physical health. The trauma that affects us as children when we're sexually abused or as people of any age when we're sexually abused is going to make its mark on us physically. And the ACEs study really shines a light on the fact that when you experience traumatic events, your risk for so many mental and physical conditions increases. And it increases by a lot in many cases. So uh, the more ACEs you have, the more adverse childhood experiences that you have, the greater your risk for chronic disease, mental illness, violence, and being a victim of violence. One way that they put it that I think resonates really well is that you can think of an ACE score as a cholesterol score for childhood trauma. For example, someone who's experienced four adverse childhood experiences is twice as likely to be a smoker. They're seven times more likely to be an alcoholic. They're at a higher risk of developing emphysema, chronic bronchitis. Their risk of attempting suicide increases by 1,200%. People with high ACE scores are more likely to have broken bones than people who haven't experienced traumatic childhood experiences. They will see an increase in drug prescriptions. We're not talking about illicit drugs, but just medicines that they take. They're more likely to have depression and they're even more likely to have autoimmune diseases. So you might look at some of these risks and think, okay, well, it makes sense if somebody becomes an alcoholic because they're trying to deal with their childhood. It makes sense that traumatic childhood experiences are going to increase your risk for some of these diseases because that could be caused by you abusing drugs or abusing alcohol or abusing cigarettes, like something as a way of coping. Like we all see how a coping mechanism could lead to disease. But that doesn't explain why victims of childhood trauma are far more likely to develop autoimmune diseases or chronic diseases like cancer. Like, isn't that kind of crazy? It's crazy to think that if you have adverse childhood experiences, your chance of developing cancer, heart disease, having a heart attack or having a stroke really jumps. Like it goes way up. So when people say sexual abuse doesn't leave physical marks, that's actually really not true at all. Like maybe not marks that people can look at your skin and see, oh, this person was sexually abused because they have the mark on them. Like that kind of mark, no. But sexual abuse definitely leaves a physical mark and in many cases, a lot of physical marks. And I think a lot of times we don't put two and two together. Like We don't make that correlation like, oh, I'm struggling with this physical infirmity because I was sexually abused. And we tend to think of that as a mental or an emotional thing. And it is actually really, really physical. And it all comes down to toxic stress, which we've discussed on the podcast before. And I I think it's just important to recognize that chronic toxic stress really damages our bodies. If you live in high alert mode for a long period of time, it damages your body. And that red alert state, as they refer to it on the ACEs to high website, 
is essentially when your body is producing an overload of stress hormones, things like cortisol and adrenaline, and those actually harm the function and structure of the brain. Now, of course, they have really important functions in our bodies. When you're faced with an emergency and your body is flooded with cortisol and adrenaline, like that's a good thing because then you, you might be able to fight. You might be able to run away. You know, we have that response in us for a reason, but the harm comes, which we have discussed before, the harm comes when your body is constantly in that state of high alert, that toxic stress, and it's producing these stress hormones, cortisol and adrenaline, almost constantly. And there's not some big danger that you need to run away from. It's just that your brain and body are responding to living in this state of chronic toxic stress. And it damages us. It damages our hearts. It damages our circulatory system. It weakens your heart. If you've got adrenaline and cortisol constantly running through your body, it actually keeps your blood pressure high, which is terrible for your system. If you look at the incidence of type 2 diabetes in people and you think about what it does for your body to have this constant presence of adrenaline and cortisol, that keeps your blood glucose levels high. And that serves a purpose as well. It's to give you enough energy so your heart and your muscles can act quickly if you're in an emergency. The problem is when you're not in an emergency, but those levels are up and you have that toxic stress running through your body, that can lead to type 2 diabetes. Um, Too much adrenaline, too much cortisol can increase cholesterol as well. And this kind of blew me away. Too much cortisol can lead to osteoporosis, to arthritis, to gastrointestinal disease, to depression, hello, to anorexia, to Cushing syndrome, hypothyroidism, the shrinking of your lymph nodes, and the ability for you to even ward off infections in your body. Um, I used to be sick all the time, man. I was sick constantly. It was like I would get over one illness and it was just another one and another one and another one. And actually over the last several years of my life, I felt like I have not had an immune system problem the same way that I used to. So that's a positive since I started the process of healing. And I don't want to say, oh, I started the process of healing from sexual abuse. And so that's definitely why I get fewer colds and I don't get the flu as often. And I haven't contracted COVID-19 because honestly, that may not um, exactly be true. But I do notice a difference since I started to deal with some of the trauma from my past and I started to work through that. I have gotten sick a lot less than I did in the past. When I say sick, though, I am referring to things like colds and flus. But at the same time, I'm dealing with a lot of the list of issues that I just read to you, like gastrointestinal disease is one of the biggest ones. I remember as a little kid, I would always correlate uh, my anxiety with a stomachache. I would always say I had a stomachache. In fact, I would always say I had morning sickness because I woke up every morning feeling sick. And I now know as an adult that in the morning, your cortisol levels are naturally higher because I guess it's supposed to give you energy in the morning. Again, Kelly's not a scientist, but your cortisol levels are naturally higher in the morning. And if you have an anxiety disorder that's putting you in this state of toxic stress, and I used to wake up with anxiety, that's really when, I don't know if it was my thoughts processing and everything kind of just like moving around in my brain and getting filed away, but I would wake up in the mornings just with this feeling of dread, remembering the abuse and feeling like I was in trouble and 
like something I had done something bad and bad things were going to happen. That was kind of when it hit me was in the mornings, but I didn't really think of it as anxiety. I mean, I was six, so how could I? But that was the start of decades of me having stomach ache issues in the morning. And I know now that a lot of that is probably the elevated cortisol and I was already struggling with anxiety and that was making my cortisol levels even higher because I would have, you know, the feelings of anxiety and fear and those stress hormones immediately release because you're suddenly in that fight or flight mode and your body's on high alert. So gastrointestinal issues have been something that I have been dealing with for years and years and years. And I really honestly believe because I can trace it back to the first time I was sexually abused that I started to have these stomach issues that I had never had before. And they've just gotten steadily worse um, the older that I've gotten. And now I deal with kind of some crazy stuff where I have to go get endoscopies done. And, you know, I need the upper GI series where you have to drink the gross liquid and they take pictures and try to see what's wrong with you and try to figure it out. So I definitely think that that is something that could be related directly back to having been sexually abused as a child and going through that trauma. And I think that the ACEs study backs that up. Something super interesting um, about your body constantly being in that state of high alert and your fight or flight system always being on, eventually your adrenal glands are going to give out because they weren't made to constantly be running. Think of it this way. Like if you drive your truck 50 miles a week, uh, but you leave it running every night when you come home and and it's in the driveway and yeah, it's sitting there, but it's running or you're revving the engine and no, the car's not going anywhere. You're not necessarily putting miles on the car, but it's constantly running. And I kind of look at it that way, that this high alert system is always on and it's wear and tear on your body. And eventually your adrenal glands give out and your body can't produce enough cortisol to keep up with the the constant demand for it because your body requires cortisol if you need to be in fight or flight. And if your brain thinks you need to be, um, then that's what happens in your body. Well, this actually causes um, not having enough cortisol and your adrenal glands giving out can cause your immune system to even attack parts of your body that can lead to lupus, to multiple sclerosis, to rheumatoid arthritis, to fibromyalgia, fibromyalgia, like fibromyalgia is one of those mystery diseases that nobody's really sure exactly where it comes from or how it happens. But many, many people who have experienced childhood sexual abuse or other adverse childhood experiences are struggling with this autoimmune disorder. I actually read um, from Ashley Easter on, I think it was Twitter or Facebook, Um, Ashley Easter does the Courage 365 show and the Courage Conference, and she's interested in looking more into the role that trauma plays in autoimmune disorders. So I'm really interested to see what she's gonna come up with on that, just as a side note there. One thing I also want to mention um, when it comes to how cortisol and that constant flood of it in your body, how it affects your body's responses is inflammation. Your body needs inflammation. Say if you get bit by a bug, you know, your, your body will like move antibodies and white blood cells and all kinds of stuff to swell up the tissue, to battle off the infection. Um, And that's a normal bodily response. But if you have too much swelling, it'll damage your body's tissue. And cortisol is what controls this balance, you know, to cause inflammation because your body needs it in some cases but also to keep that inflammatory response from going out of control. Well, excessive cortisol in your body at all times 
causes major inflammatory responses in your body and that leads to disease. Like you look at inflammation, just look up what inflammation does to the body and it's insane the damage that it does to us you know a lot of people say like don't eat sugar and don't eat carbs and all this because it increases inflammation in the body and i'm sure that's true like not knocking that at all but i'm saying also don't let anybody you know get sexually abused because that also increases inflammation in the body and leads to developing other diseases I want to read you something from the Aces Too High website because I just think that this paragraph is something that needs to be read to help us understand a little bit of what I've been talking about. It says, biomedical researchers say that childhood trauma is biologically embedded in our bodies. Children with adverse childhood experiences and adults who have experienced childhood trauma may respond more quickly and strongly to events or conversation that would not affect those with no Aces. They also have higher levels of indicators for inflammation than those who have not suffered childhood trauma. This wear and tear on the body is the main reason why the lifespan of people with an ACE score of six or higher is likely to be shortened by 20 years. This wear and tear on our bodies that's caused by the traumatic experiences that we've had as children, in our cases, sexual abuse. And Honestly, if you've suffered from sexual abuse, the odds that you have other ACEs, other adverse childhood experiences is very high. Um, I think I went through the list and I was like, wow, I have an ACE score of five or six. You know, it's, it's high. But if you have an ACE score of six, like six adverse childhood experiences, six traumas that you've gone through as a kiddo um, or throughout your life, your lifespan is likely to be 20 years shorter than a person who hasn't gone through that stuff. That's insane to me. It is completely 100% insane. And maybe you've heard all this stuff before. Like maybe you've heard that adverse childhood experiences affect the lifespan. Maybe you've heard all about the studies of ACEs and the effects on our health, and, and this is not news to you. But the reason I think that it's important that we talk about the physical effects of trauma is we have so many people out there viewing things like sexual abuse, sexual assault, traumatic childhood experiences, all this stuff. So many people view those as events that happen and that if you're weak-minded, you suffer from them. But if you're just positive and you think positive and you have good thoughts and you rise above your circumstances, everything's going to be fine. And it's such misinformation and it's detrimental to people who are trying to heal, but it's also an excuse to not really try very hard to prevent sexual abuse. I will forever believe that the reason that Jesus spoke so harshly against harming children or causing one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble. I think one of the reasons I will always believe it's because of these effects that I'm talking about. Because harming a child when they're small, abusing a child, causing trauma in a child's body at a young and impressionable age is something that is going to affect them across their lifetime. Maybe they won't make any correlation between the fact that they've got heart disease young, or maybe they won't make any correlation with the fact that they've got rheumatoid arthritis that they're dealing with, or fibromyalgia, or some other autoimmune disorder. Maybe it won't cross their mind that, my goodness, way before their time, they have a massive stroke and they're you know, paralyzed for the remainder of their life and struggling health-wise so young 
it won't cross their mind that it's because of these adverse childhood experiences. But the reality is, even if sexual abuse and childhood trauma are not leaving a physical mark on somebody's body, they are leaving physical evidence all throughout our bodies. Sexual abuse, like when you really boil it down, literally robs people of, of life. It, it suffocates some of the life out of people. 20 years off a lifespan, come on, like that's insane. Struggling with debilitating disease and being unhealthy, crazy disorders brought on by inflammation or excess cortisol. Um, I don't know if you ever watched TLC's My 600 Pound Life, but my mom loves to watch that show. And I think it's because one of her favorite things in the world is when people like are down and out and they're struggling and then they pick themselves up by their bootstraps and they like do something with their lives. Those stories just inspire her. So I think that one of the reasons she enjoys watching my 600 pound life on TLC is because, you know, people are in a a bad situation and then they they go and they they try to get help and and try to get healthy and to be able to kind of get out of this dire situation that they're in. But I want you to if you ever watch that show, which if you don't, it's fine. But if you ever watch that show, try to watch or find a single episode in all the seasons that they've had where somebody did not talk about some horrific trauma, usually childhood sexual abuse, as the beginning of why they started to overeat. Like try to find it because it's not there. Every single person on this show ends up going to psychotherapy, to, to see a psychiatrist, to uh, see a counselor, to go through trauma therapy, because that is what is at the root of their issue. Childhood trauma, and specifically the trauma of childhood sexual abuse, causes countless physical problems in survivors. I'm not saying that every single person, you know, who has survived sexual abuse is going to struggle with obesity or end up on, on a show like that. Obviously that's not true, but I I will say this, um, the things that I recognize from my childhood that I can directly relate back to the exact time I was sexually abused. I will say the stomach aches that I started to have that I know now are issues with all the excess cortisol in my body and being anxious all the time and and terrified that I was in trouble because of what had happened to me. That was really at the root of it. I was, I was afraid I had done something terrible and I was in trouble because I was bad. Like that was the big thing for me and the big struggle. And so that is one of the things I can relate back to being a six-year-old child. And that's right when it happened, right when it started happening, I should say, um, with my tummy issues and, and the cortisol issues and the anxiety issues, all of that started right at the time that I was sexually abused. And one other thing started. I won't say that only two things happened, but these two things are just, they stick out very, very starkly in my mind. I began to eat as a coping mechanism for sexual abuse. And I know that there are a lot of people who might be the opposite. There are many people who struggle with eating disorders of a different kind um, when they've gone through sexual abuse, whether it's anorexia or bulimia. There have been a lot of studies done on that too. But one of the things that I distinctly remember is hating food my entire childhood. I mean, sure, you know, give me some candy. I'm happy. Give me some ice cream. I'll take a few bites and whatever. But I just never wanted to be bothered by food. I didn't necessarily 
want to eat meals. I just, I always had something better to be doing. I wanted to play. I wanted to have fun. And that's what I wanted to do. And it used to annoy me when it was mealtime because I didn't want to sit down and sit still for five minutes and eat food. And then I remember just days after being sexually abused um, for, I think, the second time that my abuser came over to the house and I just distinctly recall having like this bowl of chocolate cake. I think it was my brother's birthday. I'm not positive. My mom had made this chocolate cake and I had a bowl of it and I, I, there's a picture somewhere and I cannot find it anywhere, but I wish I could, because if you saw the look on my face in this picture, it is basically my entire life summed up in one photograph. Like I'm shoving this piece of chocolate cake into my face with this horrible look on my face, like just dread and fear and anger. And like, I'm eating this piece of cake. And that was really the beginning of what I remember in my childhood is the first time that I started to struggle with eating as a way of like pushing down emotion. And I recognize now that it was a way of pushing down emotion, but at the time, I just remember that I went from not caring if I ate ever to eating until my stomach hurt so bad, like just sitting at meals and eating and eating and eating and not stopping even when my stomach hurt. So when people look at somebody, you know, on a show like My 600 Pound Life and they say, well, you've just made bad life choices, you know, you've just made bad choices and that's why you look the way that you do or that's why you're struggling the way that you're struggling. Um, It makes me want to punch them because no, I, I mean, yes, like, yes, we make bad decisions. Some of our coping mechanisms definitely do not serve us well in our adulthood or even in our childhood. Like my coping mechanism of eating until I was sick because I couldn't stand to think about my sexual abuse was definitely not serving me well even when I was six. But as a six-year-old, I didn't know that's why I was doing it. I didn't realize what I was doing. I just knew that I had this drive that eating was now something that was important where it hadn't been before. That doesn't just magically happen for no reason. Like It didn't just magically start the literal week that I was sexually abused for no reason. But I think that it's just easier to say, oh, well, this person just needs to make better choices and then they wouldn't be on my 600 pound life or, oh, this person just needs to make better choices and they're not different than anybody else. They can choose to do the exact right thing for their health and everything would be hunky-dory. I think it's easier to say stuff like that than it is to wrap your brain around the fact that trauma can literally change your body's physical makeup, that trauma literally can shave years and years and years, like we're talking two decades, off of your life. It's easier. I'd rather say, well, you have heart disease, obviously, because you eat the wrong food and you have, you know, type two diabetes all of a sudden because you're eating the wrong food or you have this autoimmune disorder because you haven't taken the right vitamins. It's easier and more manageable to boil it down to personal choice than it is to wrap your brain around the fact That childhood sexual abuse and childhood trauma can literally cause physical sickness and disease. It's crazy to think about. It really is. But there's too much science now to avoid it any longer and to just obnoxiously tell people if you would just think more positively. Like that's that's how people deal with like the, the mental health issues related to sexual abuse and the emotional issues related to it. That's kind of how people condemn us in in that arena by saying like if you would just focus on the positives and not think about it and just get over it, 
then you could move on and you could be mentally and emotionally healed. And and then in the physical arena, it's like if you would just do X, Y, Z, if you would just eat more carrots and eat less chocolate, and if you would just do this and this and this, like you wouldn't have these physical problems and you would be healthy just like me. And then, you know, your body would be perfect and everything would be great. It's shaming people in the exact same way, but into different circumstances. One is physical and one is mental. And it drives me nuts. I say that a lot on this podcast. It drives me nuts, but it really does. Anyway, I just think that it's important for us to, as we're going through our healing process and as we're helping other people through their healing process, and as we're dealing with the emotional and and mental and spiritual aspects of surviving sexual abuse, that we don't lose sight of the fact that this is very much a physical problem. Like sexual abuse happens to your body and the effects of sexual abuse happen in your body. And I think that that can go a long way toward helping us as we heal to be able to focus back on our our physical state as well as our emotional and mental state as well. I also think though, and I'll go back to this, that one of the reasons I think it's so important is to wake people up to the fact that sexual abuse needs to be stopped that preventing sexual abuse is so important, that responding well after sexual abuse has been disclosed is so important. And since we talk about sexual abuse in the church here on the podcast, then I will relate it back to the church and say, Jesus giving that warning to anybody who would harm one of these little ones, like one of the reasons that that was such a harsh warning in my mind is because the effects of what you do to those children are lifelong and they're devastating. As much as we'd love to like throw a Bible verse at somebody and, you know, tell them to forgive and to move on and to not be bitter and to just rejoice in the Lord and everything's going to be great. As much as we'd love for that to be the answer within the church, like when you look at studies like this, when you look at the, the science behind what happens in our bodies because of abuse, you have to know that this is not something that somebody can just positive think their way out of. Do I think that positive thinking is a good thing? Absolutely. Like, yes, I, I try to practice it as much as I can. But do I think that it cures like a cortisol issue in my body? Not necessarily, you know? So this is just one of the areas that I wish people were more informed about when it comes to sexual abuse. You know, it's not just an event that just happens and then it's over and you just need to stop being weak-minded and move on. It's not just mental health struggles, even though that's a part of it. It is something that affects us down to a cellular level, down to our DNA even, and it's something that needs to be taken seriously. Preventing sexual abuse, I think, is number one, the most important thing, but also because it's just not going to be possible to prevent it all, responding well to people who have been sexually abused and taking it seriously, like taking it as seriously as Jesus took it when he issued that warning to people who would harm children. And I talk about that scripture a lot here on the podcast. And and one of the reasons that I do is because I really think it speaks to God's heart for children and, and, and his understanding of the damage that can be done to them by hurting them when they're children. And I'd love to see more of an understanding uh, from people in general, but definitely from the church as well. But I wanted to talk about the physical effects of sexual abuse today. And, you know, if you've had any experience with some stuff that you know is related to having been abused as a child or some adverse childhood experience that you've gone through, I'd love to hear about it. You can leave a comment on the Facebook group page. It is Survivor Sanctuary on Facebook. Find us and answer the question to get added into the group. 
and I'll add you in there and you can join the conversation there. Well, thanks for joining me for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. I will catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Survivor Sanctuary with me, Kelly Downing. If you found value in today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Not only will it put a big smile on my face, more importantly, your reviews will help make it easier for other survivors and survivor advocates to find this podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe to Survivor Sanctuary wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also join the conversation in our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And for exclusive content, be sure to visit SurvivorSanctuary.com. Join me next time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then.